cow now, brown cow. <laughs> that really cow now, brown cow. Shits. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Unique New York. Unique you know, New, New Damn, York. Damn, I'm sexy as fuck in that photo. Oh, that is a good picture. Uh, I was hoping I could insult you, but no, it wasn't good. See, look at these. Oh, look at all these photos. I'm so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Taboo Podcast, where we talk about things that aren't supposed to be talked about. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different, to be honest with y'all. First of all, I don't have Hiram with me. He's in Arizona partying, but I'm in Denver partying with some two very, very, very close friends of mine. I've known them since my days, uh, Christian Ian days, (coughs) and now I have them here with me, slightly under the influence and we're, <laughs> and we're gonna I have a we great. We're gonna keep that a secret. <laughs> we're gonna have a great, great podcast here. So we have first of all Becca motherfucking Beck. <laughs> what up? <laughs> we got Mr. Austin Campbell. Greetings and salutations in that order. <laughs> now, I kind of just fucked up. Because I was supposed to discuss with y'all what I'm supposed to be talking about <laughs> before I started to hit the record button. So I guess we'll talk about that now and kind of hurry the fuck up so we can talk about it, huh? If you ask us a question, we will answer. Okay. What's your favorite color? Without shame. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, what should we talk about? There's really no structure like the last episode. There's really no structure. Don't caress me. <laughs> There's really no structure with... Don't pet my arm. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just nice hair. Thank you. I am Mexican, so it's pretty uh, thick. <laughs> what was I talking about? I'm just shaking my head right now. I can't believe what's going on. <laughs> That's the beauty of editing. <laughs> We're not gonna This is a train wreck. Should we start over? Or we're just going for it? Let's go for okay. it. Fuck it. Oh shit. <clears throat> well, I originally wanted to get you guys' backstories yeah. of what happened, but I guess it's up to you whether you want to dive into that or if you want to dive into a more recent problems that's been going on or something like that <laughs> pekka is just uh, gone dude Can't <laughs> <clears throat> i'm down to talk about whatever you want damn well i was kind of curious about talking about homosexuality <clears throat> and y'all's backstories with it and now you've moved to denver you've accepted your own identities and now you're very much happy with who you are and that's something uh, for context uh, i mentioned in my episode that i came from a church um and this where i met these two fools Mm -hmm. was from this very church and so we have a very similar uh should we talk about that real quick the fact that like bex and i used to be my youth 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 pastors (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) go for it we can start with that go for it well when we met me, you, what year was that? 2015. 2015. I okay. was 16 years old. So we were 
a year or two into helping with the youth. Like we weren't the actual youth pastors. We helped the main youth pastor. We just kind of came on as volunteers. We were offered mm-hmm. the role of like main youth pastor many time, but mm-hmm. we had it like years ago, same church, just years ago when we were younger, we did it and we knew we didn't want to do it because it was a lot of work mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and it was just too much responsibility, but we're like, we're okay helping. So we, we, we were like, what, associate leaders or something? I don't know what our title was. Pastor Austin. A lot of people called me Pastor Austin, which I didn't appreciate. Because he wasn't the pastor. <laughs> no, and I'm not, I didn't like the title either. But no, we were sincere Christians. Like I was, I, I would teach, what, every other Wednesday? I would mm-hmm. give a message about, you know, God. I, I taught about, mostly about God's emotions and the beauty of God is what I called it, you know, about mm-hmm. how God thinks and how he feels. And I tried to encourage everyone with that. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about that, Bex, or you just want me to talk for both of us <clears throat> about our church time? Oh, <laughs> did, did you even know what I was talking about? Damn. There was a uh, fireball whiskey involved. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love fireball. Please send me fireball anytime. <laughs> I'll put the uh, address in the description of this episode. <laughs> So, what was it? You were part of youth for three, four years? From 2015 to 2018, I was okay, part of years. youth, and I also was a youth leader. Right, because after, like, by the time you were 18, the, is that when they were like, hey, let's have hey. you do some leadership stuff? Right, yeah. the youth pastor told me, like, listen, we got to kick you out, but if you want to be a youth leader, that'd be great, because you volunteered around the church, we know you, you know, kick me out in the sense that, I was 18 and no longer could be part of the, the youth, mm-hmm. but I'd have to move on to the young adults group. And that's what I chose. Right. So, yes. And that was about the time we all started to, like, start questioning our faith and stuff and started to mm-hmm. get disillusioned with church and stuff. Right. And that's kind of how the three of us remained friends was we all lost our faith essentially at the same time. Very, yeah, very close for sure. Very close. Yep. I'm like, there's more to the story. I'm just trying to tell the quick version. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, we can aim for an hour. So we're at six minutes right now. So we got plenty of time. So I guess, Mr. Campbell, your upbringing. Did you guys want to talk about that? Homosexuality and and identity (laughs) and how it relates to your happiness now? Yeah, Yeah. I'm game for all that. Cool. Indeed. Muy bien. Okay. Um... At some point, we need to define the way we define ourselves. Right. Because Bex, you would define yourself more than just gay. There's, no, yeah. there's, there's more. There's a different label. Absolutely. Yeah, more to that. Absolutely. I would call myself gay, but. I should, I should have yeah. said sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how it relates to identity and happiness. Yeah. So. Cool. You, you want to start first, Austin? Yes. Are Austin? we? St- how far back do you want to go? To the very beginning. <laughs> if you want to go to the very beginning, that's fine. We can just you can just go to the main points in your life, and then I'll stop you if you want to break down. Okay. So uh, I'm like, so I want to give Bex enough time to talk. So if we're splitting an hour, I don't want to. Or it could be longer. All the way to time's childhood. flexible. Time's flexible too. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll just start. Uh, 
I can break this into a two-part podcast, too. It's, it's okay. whatever. No big deal. Don't worry about time. Don't worry about nothing. All right. I'll just start with when I knew I was gay. I was six years old. Right. Um, it, but the problem was when I realized it at six, like, I knew that was such a bad thing because mm. I grew up in a super religious household right. and incredibly homophobic. So... Um, I instantly compartmentalized everything. As soon as, like, I knew I was gay at six, I'm like, no, 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 this can't be true. So, like, I stuffed it down, and I don't know if I thought much about it until adolescence. I right. don't know. Maybe I was, like, 11 or 12 when I started, <laughs> like, it was became harder to ignore it, right. you know, hitting puberty and stuff. So I started to realize, oh, oh, shit, I really am gay. This is bad. And at the same t- and when I realized that, I compartmentalized even more because I knew the moment anyone finds out I'm gay, like, that means I'm unworthy of love. I'm going to be kicked out of my own family. Like, and they would say things like that even growing up. Like, they would call me gay and faggot, and, and they would even say, like, the reason we don't like you is you're so – because I'm sensitive. I'm, I'm probably the most sensitive in the whole family mm-hmm. out of seven siblings. Right, I, right. I came from a big family. And so I, I was always made fun of for all that stuff. And so when I, at 11, 12, realizing, oh, shit, like, I really am gay, mm-hmm. I had to hide it even more. And that's when I, like, just shut down emotionally. I became basically a, a robot because it was right. just too much to deal with. But I couldn't hide it until um, past 16. Mm-hmm. 16 is when I, was the first time I came out. Right. Um, I came out to Bex and a couple of my siblings all at the same time. So let me let me stop you there. So in childhood... You said oh, sure. it was bad. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, I know your backstory pretty well, but for the audience, why was it so evil? Why was it such a bad thing to be gay? You, you know, I'm still kind of confused by that. I mean, I understand where my parents come from, being super religious and thinking that being gay is inherently evil against God and you're going to hell for it. But why it was singled out as... I don't think anyone ever said this, but it was treated that way. It was treated as a like the an extra special evil sin. Mm. Like it's the ultimate. Like of all the things you could be, being gay is the ultimate. Mm-hmm. That was never said, but it was always implied. Like that was always considered just extra bad. Right. And and I'm still confused by that. I still don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the rationale and uh, uh, the thinking because I was religious. Um of thinking being gay is bad, but I don't understand why it's singled out as an especially egregious sin or something. I, I never understood right. that. Even to this day, I still in, in a Christian-based uh, cult uh, religion, right? Yeah, because I know that's a whole other podcast of, of religion and what you kind of grew up in, because you've discovered that the religion that you're in wasn't Christianity per se, but it was a cult. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother story, though. Yeah, I'm just going to, for the sake of brevity, yeah, right. I, I was raised in a Christian household. But, yeah, there was definitely a lot of cultish influence. Christian-based in cults, I'd yeah. say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. And so that religion was what really was the main cause of gay homosexuality's evil. It's, yeah. it's a bad thing. And, and then your sibling, it wasn't your parents' name calling you, it was your siblings. It was right? my siblings, yeah. And I especially had um, one sibling who was just a bully. Right. Like, just vicious. And as a, little, as a little kid, what would you do? Would you just suppress it? Like, when you receive those bad name callings, and what would you do? 
I, I would mostly suppress it. I would just deny it because the problem is if it is true, that means I, if I really am gay, and mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm thinking in this worldview that view that I was raised in, if I am gay, that means all the things they're saying about me are true. Right. That means I really am unworthy of love. That mm-hmm. means I really do deserve the bullying and the teasing and the emotional abuse that I've right. received. Mm-hmm. Like I deserve it is what it means. So I had to deny it because if my being gay is true, that means I deserve this mistreatment. I see. That means I truly am defective like everyone's saying. Again, I don't believe that now, but that was my rationale as a child was I knew it was wrong. I knew it made me defective. And so it couldn't be true. I couldn't Mm -hmm. allow it. Like it took me a long, long time to come around to acceptance because it was synonymous with being evil or bad or defective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to go through as a kid. That's a lot to go through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To not only receive negative feedback from your siblings, but also, I mean, we've talked about in the past, this type of uh, covering your eyes from with your parents, where your parents would just cover their eyes and, and not really want to address this type of situation. And you may want to go into this or not, but you mentioned 16. That's the first time you came out. Yeah, that was when I couldn't hide it anymore because 16 was when I decided to get really like serious about my faith. Mm-hmm. And with that came the confrontation mm-hmm. of the fact that I'm gay. Right. So what do I do about that? Like, I want to be a wholehearted for Jesus. That right. 16 was the age I decided, you know, I'm going for. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start, like, praying and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. doing the serious stuff for Jesus. And I kept coming face to face with this thing I kept suppressing was my own sexuality. Um and that was around the time I started hanging out with, with Bex and my a couple of my siblings. Excuse me. And we all got really close. Like, I was never really close to any of my siblings until about 16. I got closer to my two younger siblings because mm-hmm. I'm number six of eight kids. So there's two siblings younger than me. I got close to them, and then we all started hanging out with Bex, we, and it was like the four of us. We were just this friend group. And after, I don't know, what was it? six to nine months of hanging out. Um, And again, we were all going to church like twice a week, maybe Mm. three times. And so we were all like getting serious about Jesus at the same time. Right. And, and then at the same time, I'm becoming friends with my own siblings, you know, who I never really got along with and friends with Bex. And I just, I, I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I love that it happened, but I don't know how I find, I felt the trust and the mm-hmm. ability to come out to them. Cause I, I, I never thought I could have done that before. Cause right. it was such a shameful thing. And when I did come out, it was me confessing my sin. It wasn't me coming out saying, Oh, I'm gay. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm out and proud. It was me confessing a sin when I first came out. But even then I still don't know how I did it. Cause I carried so much shame with it. Mm-hmm. But apparently there was enough trust and love I felt that I could actually open up about this. And it was it was at the age of 16 I opened up to the three of them. Now, right. And I never thought I was going to do that, right. ever. A handful of siblings, not the bully sibling no, and, no, no. and the older ones, but the more younger ones, Yeah, right? my two younger siblings and Bex. That was the first time I ever came out. And that mm-hmm. was when I actually, like, I would say fully, like, realized and identified with it because... Again, I knew I was gay my whole childhood, but mm-hmm. 
I, I compartmentalized and suppressed in order to survive that like, I don't know if I fully really understood it until about 16 because mm. I, I, I had to suppress it for so long. I don't, I think I hid a lot of it from myself for so long. Right. And this is related to faith because you said at 16, you wanted to be more serious about your faith. Yeah. So with this, you're like, you understood that, okay, I'm gay, but you saw it as this is just a sin that I struggle with. Oh, is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay. This okay. is, and that was the, the thing I carried in my faith from 16 till what? 27 was probably when I started to deconstruct. Mm. Um, so about 10 years I carried this where I'd get closer and closer and closer to God and I'd, you know, become more and more dedicated in my spiritual practice. But in the back of my mind, there was this nagging thing where I knew I was always disqualified or there was something that would, um, destroy this relationship I had with God. And it was that I was gay and I had to keep it a secret too. Cause in my church environment, right. not just in my family um, dynamic, it was just as hostile in church. Right. And if you're gay, it was the worst sin imaginable. And I worked with youth. Like I was a youth leader and in that culture, you're right. being gay equals your predator. Right. Like in their mindset, there's no such thing as, right. Oh, you just happen to like the same sex. Like it's just, it's normal. There, there, there was no one who right, thought like that. Right. If you're gay, it means you're a sexual deviant, you're a pervert, mm -hmm. you're somehow a, a predator or something like that. Right, yeah. right. So I had to keep it a secret. Right, right. Yeah, this, because uh, I've mentioned this before, just to reiterate, it's a non-denominational church that we attended to that was... Mm -hmm. Christian based or it was it was a uh, Christian church but interesting and so for 10 years you 10 years you yep. had to keep this suppressed and you're in love with Jesus oh yeah because it wasn't you, you were very authentic in your in your relationship to God you truly just like me uh, that I mentioned in my podcast episode I truly believed in the religion that I I truly believed in Jesus. I oh, truly yeah. believed in God. Oh, yeah. I felt accountable to him. I felt, you know, I did many things with, um, few things without God's permission. Everything was about Jesus. And you were the same way. Oh, you, 100%. Authenticity, 100%. Oh, yeah. And yet you're still carrying this sin, quote, mm -hmm. sin that you have for 10 years. How was that like? Oh, <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I'm glad you're asking this. I don't know if I can unpack it in this moment because, you know, I never actually asked myself, what was that like for 10 years? I mean, my whole life, but I mean, most of my life. But you're in but the leadership that role. That right there, those 10 years of, yeah. you know, dedication, serious dedication for Jesus. Because I had, even then, I was still suppressing right. how I felt about it because right. it would eat me alive the guilt, the shame. And in order for me to move on and actually have a, healthy dynamic mm -hmm. life with Jesus and in the church, that's something I always had to either suppress or ignore in order to do anything. But it was hard. I don't know what other thing to say other than it was just really hard. Um, I felt like a hypocrite. That mm. became really difficult. Mm. Where I knew I was sincere. I knew I truly 
wanted what was best for for me for god for right. and for others too cuz i wanted to help i right. cuz i knew what it was like as a teenager growing up in church with all this shame and guilt so when i taught i taught about that stuff right i never talked about my specific shame and right. guilt obviously right. but that was something i would always address because i felt so much um what's the word pity and empathy for those that i saw i saw people just like me going through that maybe i mean some queer yes but also some just feeling that shame and that that mm -hmm. guilt that comes with religion often. And I had a lot of compassion about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the good thing that came out of it, it was a struggle, but it helped me see things I may not have seen. Mm -hmm. It helped me speak to the pain that so many felt. Because I, wow. I heard it even after I left right. from a lot of the youth that, that I did make a difference. I did make an impact. I did help them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful for that. I just, at the same time, had to suffer silently, right. all alone. Right. So it was, the whole experience was, for lack of a better term, bittersweet, I guess. Mm -hmm. that, that's very difficult to, I feel like, because I speak from personal experience, to want to be this authentic person with Jesus, with with this type of religion yet you have this sin that is quite ugly in the eyes of this religion and you're a hypocrite you feel like a hypocrite and that's that's i'm sure for some of the audience members that are christian or who were christian i'm sure they can resonate with that that's a very difficult thing to hold on to so would you say that helping the youth is what motivated you to continue for those 10 years? What, what kept you going for 10 years? I'll say yes, because I truly felt fulfillment over helping. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was wonderful teaching the Bible. And again, the way I taught the Bible was about how God thinks and feels, because I felt that was the best way to heal the heart. Mm that we like so many people in church believe that God is mostly angry and most mostly vengeful and spiteful and judgmental toward toward them and i wanted to teach that God is mostly glad God is full of mercy and that's there's so many bible verses about that you know about him being full of mercy and love and compassion and you look at the life of Jesus that was you know what was about Jesus so i would teach on that and just remind them how gracious God is and stuff and i would see like i would see it with my own eyes so many times just youth just openly weeping and feeling some kind of healing in their own soul or whatever. Again, now I question some of the validity because I don't sure. really believe in all that, but at least at the time, um, there was a lot of fulfillment in seeing that transformation, mm -hmm. seeing what kind of impact I had on people because I taught love, mm -hmm. because I taught compassion, because I taught forgiveness, which is, of course, all the things I was looking for, and I wasn't right. offering myself. Right. But... Wait, what was the, there, there was two sides I wanted to answer the question. How did you ask the question? I said, um, what motivated you for those 10 oh, years? Okay. The other motivation, which is less noble, was I was trapped. Mm. Ooh. 
which again, I didn't realize until I left how I felt. So this is like something I couldn't have told you in the, at the, in the moment. Right. But I realize it now. I was trapped. Because at 27 years old, that is when I finally moved out of my parents' house was at 27. But mm-hmm. at 27, I'm living at home still. I'm not married. I, I had this um, on-again, off-again relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, I don't know if I should say with who, because <laughs> is that Bex with Bex, <laughs> we were on again, off again. Cause you know, there was this external pressure of, we had to be together cause right. we were best friends. We were right. and still are best friends. And right. because you know, she's a girl, I'm a boy, obviously we got to get married. Right. You know, that's, that's the perception. Everyone. Right. Cause you guys just to clarify, you guys are, I mean, I know, but to clarify for the audience. You guys are childhood friends, essentially. Oh, yeah. We've known each other our whole Known lives. each other. You dated each other a couple times, realized that didn't work out. Yeah. Because, well, you have different sexual orientations. Right. But to this day, you guys are best best yeah. friends. And so that's why, you know, and of course, I knew you guys from the church. And so that's why we're all here right now. Just, just I just wanted to clarify that Austin and Becca are not dating. No, right no. <laughs> not at all. But I am lucky because he's the best friend in the world. Tremendous. Yeah, we're. I would say we're closer now than we've ever been, and it, it. And part of it is because there's not that bag, that external baggage of what we're supposed to do. Right. Like we're supposed to get married. Right. And all that, and we're supposed to start a family and all that. Because that was that was pushed on you guys oh, it was. by many many people. Yeah. Many people. You guys should date. You should get married. You guys are so compatible. You're opposite genders. So uh, wonderful. Tremendous. Yeah. Get married. <laughs> and it didn't work. It, we were on again, off again for years. So, right. yeah, it was. But the, the point I was making is at 27 years old, this is the year I, you know, started deconstructing. Is mm-hmm. um, I'm living at home, on again, off again relationship that's never going to go anywhere. Right. I'm in a dead end job. Like my entire life, I was just stuck. Right. And the reason I was stuck is I didn't know what to do because I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go through with marrying Bex because... It's a lie. It was a, yeah, uh, that's not what I wanted. I'd be living a lie. Um, and I, and I was trapped. Like I couldn't pursue, Mm -hmm. um, anything with another man because that would mean I'd lose everything. I would literally lose everything. I'd lose family, friends, my position in church, any of my church connections, because that's, you know, the ultimate evil. So I'm just stuck living a role that was created for me that my heart's not in at all. The only thing my heart was in was the message of Jesus because he taught love and compassion and his message was that of unconditional love. That's why I stayed there because wow. that was the only place I felt it because I didn't feel it from my family. Right. I rarely felt it from my friends. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, most of my friends, you know, most of my Christian friends. Because right. in, in the church, we preach unconditional love but it's not it's not executed that at all it's not often executed no and so just because you say unconditional love that doesn't make it unconditional right you actually have to do unconditional right and so the only outlet i had for this guilt and for being trapped was the person of jesus and so that's why i was there for 10 years was i had nowhere else to go wow 
You know, we've talked about this several times throughout the years of our faith deconstruction, how it relates to happiness. And I've never really heard you say that, that in order to feel love, I only received it from Jesus. And I'm not trying to make a message as a evangelist for Jesus, not at all, <laughs> not in any way, but it's just really heartbreaking to hear that, that you couldn't receive that from your family. You couldn't receive that from your friends. Only person was And, and to be clear, religion. I mean, I, I felt love from Bex. Of course, right. And, yeah, but like in major, the majority. Right, I mean, right, yeah. right. And, and from you as well, and you're a good friend. Right. But yeah, in general is what I mean. Right, right. Uh, absolutely, of course. Yeah. Um, just when you have so many people, you know, when you only have a few people that actually accept you for who you are, that's it's very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. So... I don't know. My heart kind of breaks to hear that, I guess. That's what I'm trying to point out. But, but then Jesus wasn't working out. <laughs> Here's the thing is I knew I had to be straight. Like that was the mm. only way to move forward in my relationship with Jesus. You right. know, that was the only way to be have a clear conscience. And the problem was like I did everything I could do on my end, like – Obviously, you know, I leave it up to Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one who takes right. care of all that stuff, right? But also my part is to confess my sin. My part is to resist sin, you know, all that stuff. So I did as much as I could. And when it was all said and done 10 years later, there, it not only was there no progress on my quote-unquote healing from being gay, if anything, it was quote-unquote worse. Right. And that felt like the ultimate betrayal for me. That's when it was finally like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Like I am exhausted. I can't carry this guilt that I don't know what to do with. Like mm-hmm. I've tried everything. Why aren't you doing anything? Right. Especially the message of unconditional love, which is the, I think the negative side of, of Jesus that nobody wants to point out is it's not truly unconditional love. Hmm. Because in the end, if you still have sin, Jesus won't accept you. Right. He'll forgive you, but if you're still in sin, Hmm. you won't be accepted. So is it unconditional love? Right. I'm sure there's many, many different translations of this type of Christianity, you know, where some, yeah, you can die still sinning and you'll go to heaven and you're with Jesus. But I feel like for what we were taught in, what we believed in, not, not, no, there wasn't that unconditional love. In the end, if you're in sin, you're not going to be, you're not going to have eternal life with Jesus. Right. Absolutely. And that, that right there, what you're saying, those were some of the questions that were starting to plague me at, you know, when I, uh, at when I was 27, I'm 32 now, by the way. So this is five years later. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff right there was the, the inconsistencies in what I believed and what I was reaching for Mm -hmm. and also the hypocrisy I was starting to see. Right. Because I was, I was confronted with some of other people in the church who Leaders. were straight. Mm-hmm. And they weren't reaching for the kind of wholehearted, quote-unquote, holiness and purity that I was reaching for. Right. I mean, I was doing the stuff I was supposed to do to, like, stay away from thinking of, quote-unquote, you know, lustful thoughts and looking at pornography and all that stuff. Right. And I was looking at straight people who were, who were not making that attempt either as much or at all 
right. and quote unquote getting away with it. Like no right. one cared because it was straight. It's like, oh, it's fine because you know we're all like this. But if it's gay, it's, it's a whole nother story. I'm like, mm. wait a second. My, like, you don't realize the internal struggle I'm making, the sacrifices for Jesus, but just because my struggle's gay, somehow I have to do more? Somehow mm. mine's more evil? Like, that, it was that kind of stuff that really started bugging me. It was the double standard I started to see everywhere. Right. I'm like, wait a second. This isn't right. Right. This isn't Jesus. This isn't the gospel. Whatever's happening here, this is this is wrong. Mm. Mm. And so coupled with my disappointment with God because he wasn't fixing it. Right. And then the double standards I was seeing and the hypocrisy I was starting to see everywhere. It was really hard to keep my faith. And, right. and by the time 2017 was over, I, I don't think I was calling myself a Christian. Like, wow. Or it was, I think I still thought of myself as a Christian, but I stopped calling myself one mm, mm-hmm. verbally and openly with other people. Okay. And that's when I started, I think it was 2018 when I started to draw back and I was still a part of youth, but I didn't do anything for a whole year. Like I didn't teach cause I couldn't, I felt like a hypocrite. I remember when you stepped down from that and I was always confused as a, as a what 17 year old or whatever it was, however old I was. Yeah. I was, why did Austin stop preaching? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't because my conscience. Right. I couldn't lie to you guys because I didn't believe any of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you're getting this separation from the hypocrisy of people and also the problem with unconditional love. So what was the next step after that? You've decided, you know what? Jesus is not working anymore. What next? Well, I guess I didn't really completely let go of my faith until I moved here to Denver. So I guess the next thing, I'm just going to fast forward to uh, the fall of 2019 is when I finally, which I did it a year later. Like I should have at least a year or two earlier, I should have done it. But mm. I I was so used to living the life everyone else wanted for me or planned right. for me. Right. I didn't realize I could make my own path. So in the fall right. of 2019, I decided, and it was life or death. I was at a place where, I guess I should back up. It was July 2018 was the hardest month of my entire life. Right. Because I remember it was like mid-July, and I remember coming to the realization that I wasn't going to make it to the end of the month. I was starting to plot my own, I was going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was going to, I like, I knew there was no way I was going to survive. Like, I just knew it. There was just no reason to go on. I felt so hopeless and helpless. Like I was trapped in every area of my life. Right. I was still in my dead end job. At least I had moved out of my parents' house by then. Right. right. That was like the only ray of, like ray of hope I had was, oh, I finally don't live at home anymore. Mm. But that was it. I didn't have anything else. I, mm-hmm. I was completely trapped. Mm-hmm. And Next thing I knew, it was August. It was like August 2nd or 3rd or something. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm here. Like, again, like, my memory, like, it just, like, all of a sudden it happened. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, August snuck up on me. And I'm glad it did, because had I noticed it coming, 
I probably would have done something about it. I don't know how August just shows up out, out of the blue and I'm like, wait, I'm still here. I didn't do it. What? So that's when I made a vow right. to myself. I made a vow beginning of August. All right, I'm here. So I told myself, I said, Austin, I'm going to start living in such a way that you're going to be grateful that you decided to stay. Mm -hmm. And it was a year later to the month that I had my going away party. And I wanted to tell everybody, but they didn't know. No one knew my struggle because like, I had tried opening up but, right. and I always got shut down or people were angry that I dare be sad, let alone, I didn't tell that right. I was suicidal. I just told, hey, I'm depressed. And that was enough to anger people and tell me, you know, quote Bible verses about how I should be happy. Right. That sadness, and that's something I mentioned in my episode too, was sadness is not really allowed. No. Where, oh, you need to rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah. Always. Um, yeah, absolutely. I resonate with that. Well, I moved beginning of August 2019, a year later, I moved to Denver, and that's the best decision I ever made, because that mm. was the first time I could truly live on my own and make my own decisions, and no one else tell me how I should live, what I should believe, who I should love, and it took me at least a year before I completely, because I was so controlled by everyone, right. that even a year on my own, I still didn't make much progress. And there was a lot to grieve as well. Mm -hmm. But once that year hit, I realized, oh, I need to actually make progress. Like, I haven't moved on. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started doing the heavy lifting. And that's when everything changed. Mm -hmm. I realized I didn't believe in it anymore. I realized certain relationships and friends and that they were not serving me in the healthy way I thought. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the scandal of my own self-hatred hit me. Mm-hmm. Because I taught love so long, I didn't realize how much I hated myself. And that's what I've been doing the last couple years is learning to love who I am exactly as I am. And I'm proud to say that I think I'm amazing. I think I'm a wonderful person. And mm -hmm. I realize that I'm actually kind and I'm generous. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like, that's who I want to be. I'm proud of the person I am. I never could have said that before. Not even when I was teaching all about Jesus constantly. Like, I was not proud of myself. I was mm -hmm. not happy with who I was. I didn't love myself. But now I do. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how, like, I'm not saying this is the only contributing factor, but your perspective on life from a religious lens to more of I'm taking control of my life, how that has shifted so much about your thinking and about your happiness to now you're, a very happy person, yeah. despite receiving, quote, unconditional love from Jesus, despite all those wonderful things this religion has promised to you, that didn't work out. But taking control of your life, of your life did. Oh, absolutely. And I'm happy to say that the most valuable thing in my life right now are the few friends I have. Now, I have more than just a few friends, but when I say few friends, I mean very close. Right. You, Bex, Thank you. and a handful of others um, who live here. Right. Um, and I have a few still back in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a handful of friends here that I'm close to, that I can share who I am and be open 
and not have to be ashamed or cover up who I am. I can just be me. Wow. And it's, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I had this epiphany like two weeks ago. I was driving to work and I just started crying because I realized how wealthy I am. I have so much. And what I was thinking about was the friends I have in my life. That I, I have people who truly love me and they tell me that and they show it to me. And I can't think of anything more valuable in this life. Yeah. Like what more can you ask for than people who truly genuinely care about you Mm -hmm. and are open and honest about how they feel. And I have that. And I have many people like that. When I say many, I mean like, I don't know. I'll just throw a number 10. I have 10 people like that in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's wonderful and I love it and I feel wealthy. I truly do. And that, that's the thing I'm most grateful for right now. Wow. And that's something I mentioned too in my episode was, was that exactly is, is friendship. Friendship is such a wonderful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. And intimate relationships too is also amazing. It's, um, what's his name? Fred Rogers. Mm. He said the connections we make in the course of a life, perhaps that w- that's what heaven is. And that's something that always struck with really just struck a chord with me was that's my life is connections with people. That's what brings me happiness. That's what makes my life worth living. And I'm hearing that from you too. Wow. What an interesting connection. And there's one thing I want to close on just since we're talking about sexuality and where I am right now in life is I'm currently seeing someone Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to say that my favorite thing about him is he treats me like I deserve. Wow. Like he's kind to me and he's good to me. And I never thought, I I honestly never thought I deserved that. Mm. And now that I'm experiencing, I'm like, of course, this is how it should be. Like, this is how a normal relationship is where you treat each other with dignity and respect. Like that should be normal. Like it makes sense to me now, now that I'm experiencing it, it makes so much sense. And I, yeah, wow. I'll close with that. What a 180. Mm-hmm. I don't deserve anything. I'm worthless without Jesus. I'm worthless without this religion to now I deserve yeah. things. And now I'm receiving that. Yeah. How wonderful. Beautiful. Hola, Becca Beck. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> we still got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I see you're getting pretty emotional there. You want to talk about it? Oh, I was just being loved, that's all. Mm. <laughs> Tremendo. Well, are you wanting to talk about it? Sure. You'll probably just have to ask me questions, though. Of course. I can answer questions. I'm not one who is good with the words. I live my life feeling everything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it coming. Um. The beginning of your life, the beginning of your 
sexual orientation identity journey? Where did it start? Um, I believe that I knew that I was attracted to my same sex or women or whatever at probably like four. Four, wow. Four or five, just... I don't know how I knew it. I don't remember any key things except feeling everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify, where are you right now? Because I, I feel like I was inaccurate to say that you're a lesbian. Mm. I, it's been a journey I, at one point. I mean, I've always known I'm not straight. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I thought I was bisexual, and then I watched uh, Schitt's Creek and discovered in that show that what I most identify with is being pansexual. It's not about the person's parts. Genitalia. There we go. It's about who they are, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so it doesn't particularly matter to me if you're male or female or non-binary or androgynous it matters to me who you are and I do though my model comes with a preference for females Mm. so (laughs) always gonna prefer the ladies (laughs) where it's at fucking tremendous Mm -hmm. now and you knew this at four I knew some variation of this. I knew that I wasn't like the rest of my family. I knew that I wasn't trying to look for a husband. And, right. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, you, like Austin, grew up in a Christian environment. And it was kind of forced on you with this idea of a marriage, you know. Yes. It was, it was not only the Christian lifestyle, but it was culturally growing up in Hispanic family, Mm -hmm. you know, you be a good little brown girl and you find a husband (laughs) and you can't buy a house without a husband. Right. You need a man and you need to raise children and be a good wife and Mm. serve him and kiss his toes. And I'm like, who, whoever stopped to ask me if I wanted a husband? No one. No, no thank you. Right. No quiero. No quiero. (laughs) Now, and you kept this also suppressed, right? Because I know you had run-ins with your family growing up, but for the most part, you kept it suppressed, right? Correct. I If I was to ever talk about it or, or let it out I or come out to anybody or however you want to say it, like I would have been honestly probably physically abused on top of mentally and emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I had a couple other female cousins who are queer and they were constantly bashed for it and sometimes physically mm. harmed for it. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm sorry to hear that. Too. Yeah. Sorry for them. And so you saw that you saw them get abused for that. And you said, oh, I really need to keep this quiet. Yes. So I yeah. don't face that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I looked for male partners if i ever wanted to have a someone to love in my life or have a relationship i had to find that in a guy 
Right. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you attempted that a couple times oh, throughout yeah. your life of being with men. Yeah, I always had, always had boyfriends. Like one, like this guy right here. Like this guy. Yeah. Um. And how'd that go? Well. I guess I should first start with the fact that, I mean, this is all part of the discovering who I am and this whole journey and things change (laughs) because I don't know for sure, you know, till Mm -hmm. I know. And I think, I think one of the most important things that I probably need to say is that I'm also ace. Mm. I'm asexual. I don't, I literally just don't find any interest in sex. Like I don't have interest in having sex and It just, yeah, it just isn't there. It isn't in me. And I'm open to the idea that it could be trauma from being molested. Right. Um, when I was younger, so I get that it's there's a possibility that's that. But mostly when I just dive in and think about things on my own, mm-hmm. it really just is sincerely not even interesting to me. Right. Or it's not something I desire. It is interesting. <laughs> like, I'm like, I wonder what certain things would be like, but I don't wonder that on a level where I feel like that would fulfill me right? because it doesn't fulfill what I feel feel fulfilled by is connection with people, connection with kind people in particular. Mm -hmm. And so first and foremost, I'm not first and foremost, but it's important to know that I'm ace. So I'm, I just don't, I'm not sexually attracted to anyone around me. Right. I can joke about it with the best of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm a goddamn good flirt, but <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna like lunge on anybody or anything like that. Right. So, um, but yeah, I uh, current. So there's that, and then I do identify as pansexual again, like mm-hmm. I said. So, um, yeah, there was no talking about that though. Right. So a lot of the molestations, and we don't have to go into this if you're uncomfortable about it, but a lot of the molestations you think could have caused this, that sex is bad, sex is, mm. sex is evil. Right. And that's why you think you could be asexual now. I think that... Or at least contribute to that idea. I think being molested could contribute to, yeah, the thought process that I just don't want it or like something, it was so maybe so traumatizing that I decided that sex was so bad mm-hmm. that I never want it. Mm-hmm. Um, also a very other traumatizing moment is I randomly would just go sleep in my mom and dad's bed because I was afraid of things when I was younger. I was, it was a very fear-based home and everything was terrifying. And so sometimes I'd go sleep in my parents' bed and one night in the middle of the night, I wake up because I don't understand why I'm bouncing on the bed. Mm-hmm. They're having sex with me in the bed, right. not with me, obviously, but I mean, uh, next right. to me. They're having sex, and I'm like, why would you right. do that, first of all, to your child? Right, it's no boundaries. And, yeah, and and even that was like, oh. Like, I already knew I didn't want anything to do with sex, but that just kind of put the cap on it for me. Right. So that was also traumatizing, aside from being molested. So mm-hmm. with all of that considered, there could be issues with that. And, I mean, I might be someone who does like sex. I just don't think that I am because genuinely it just doesn't – do anything for me right i mean certainly you have every reason to not like sex yeah because that that's pretty pretty deep stuff to be molested you know having some type of sexual interaction without your will or consent Mm -hmm. or being the right age you know 
But also, I mean, I think that's the last thing everybody wants to think about is their parents during sex. Oh, Jesus. And so when you're stuck with that ugly memory of your parents doing it right next to you, yeah, that's awful. Mm-hmm. It's fucking terrible. Jesus Christ. I'd be asexual. Hmm. <laughs> that <laughs> happened to me, jeez. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So going from there, you were, when did you come out, I guess? Or at least, because I know that's also kind of a complicated story. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of start leaving hints to other people, family, friends? Um, Anytime any of my, my, like my mom or any of my cousins or family or anybody has been like, talking about a husband or having mm. sex and procreating. And I was like, I'd always say outward, like out loud. I would always say, Oh, mm. I don't, I don't want to, I would, you know, around whoever I was around, I'd use different words, penis, pee pee, dick, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> Oh, I don't want that anywhere near me. La pinga. Yeah. No pee pee for me, please. Thank you. <laughs> so, Yo no quiero. but it wasn't, that was the most direct I would be because, you know, I wasn't going to say much else, but I, um, trying to think of who I very first came out to. I, was it you, Ian? In the haunted house? In the haunted house. (laughs) That's a whole other story. Um, I thought you mentioned one person. I think I did, but I'm trying to think of who that was. Was it Austin? Maybe. I thought no. you told Austin and then told me after. Who did I tell? I was like one of three people. Do you remember who I told Austin? I was. Would it have been my sister? No. I wasn't the first. I'm pretty sure I was like the second or third. I don't think I was the first because. I I think because you were worried to tell me. No, I I actually I actually do think that you were the first. I really was. I think you were because I think well first first was I came out to me. Right. I uh, started to anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, Austin and I had had a pretty good falling out, or bad whichever way you want to look at it. It was not good. Mm-hmm. Um. And. Uh, we were getting ready to go on a trip to California, me, him, and another friend. And because I wanted to take him to Harry Potter World mm-hmm. for his birthday as a birthday gift. I mean, we didn't go for his birthday, but we went later in the year. And we hadn't been close at all. We were, quite frankly, enemies at the time. And it was super awkward. Yeah. <laughs> because that was the relationship problems, right? When you guys yeah. were dating and. Mm-hmm. and- yeah, because we both knew that was not good, not true, not you know, not a lie. Or it was a lie, whatever, you, however you want to phrase it. Compromise your friendship. It was, it was God or God in quotes and Christianity telling us what we needed to do. So, right. um, it eventually put a big, huge, fat splinter in the friendship and everything. So anyway, um, we had met, or he asked me to come over for dinner um, one night. And he was going to make 
lobster and coleslaw Ooh. and biscuits. It, it was good though. It was so good. I mean, the lobster oh. should have been could have been cooked a little better, but <laughs> it was so good. The rest of it was pretty good. Damn. But like garlic I think butter? I yeah. oh garlic butter biscuits. Ooh. It was yeah. and lobster. What, what kind of biscuit? Mm-hmm. Cheddar biscuits. Cheddar biscuit. Cheddar bay oh biscuits. My God. Yeah. Why wasn't gluten free? Mind you. Jesus. Yeah, it was delicious. Um. But he extended a a dinner invite. I think probably just trying to figure out who each other were and like where we were at because we we were civil to one another, but there was definitely yeah. no kind of friendship there. I remember that I, awkwardness. That was, <laughs> oof. I think everyone felt it because yeah, it was even there because we were still both part of youth when we like had our huge falling out. Yes. And I think everyone felt that. Right. But I was going to say about that dinner, I I think my thinking on it was I just wanted to know where we were. Like, can we at least be acquaintances? Mm-hmm. Can we be friends? And if we are friends, like, I don't think we ever knew what that meant. Like, what what does friends actually mean? Yeah, not really. Because we were, we were always like an old married couple, always. Mm-hmm. And people already thought we were married, like, right. year one into our friendship. Because we were that close mm-hmm. right away, right out of the right. gate. So I'm like, I don't even know if we know what friends means. So mm-hmm. I think that invite to the dinner was just to see, like, is it possible to salvage any kind of friendship? And if we can, what is the actual definition of our friendship? Because right. I don't know if we've ever been able to define it anyway. Yeah. So it was something like that on my end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we definitely we had two of those kind of meetups uh, one was the dinner but that was the day that um I think before that I had maybe like I didn't directly come out to my friend Keely but I had been hinting around to her that I wasn't a particular fan of them of the male species <laughs> yeah. when it came to like romance you know right and I didn't know anything about being with women because I never had been and whatever. So, but I just knew that being with men wasn't ever what made me happy. And I had only ever had boyfriends. Mm, mm -hmm. And then I always had lots of crushes on women, (laughs) but you know, I couldn't do anything about that. So Zazie beats. Yeah. Halle Berry. Mm. Mm. Julia styles. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I went to this d- to dinner at his house, and I thought, you know what? I mean, we weren't on the best of terms, but the fact that he invited me over in the middle of our not doing well at all, like, spoke a lot to me. Right. And I was like, okay, well, maybe there's some kind of hope that we could at least be in the same vicinity <laughs> or mile of each other and be okay, you <laughs> right. know? Um, and... So it was that day that I came out to him. And when I came out to him, I came out as bi because that's what I thought. Because I knew that I also didn't hate men. I just was like, eh, I don't know. Like, I guess it could go either way. And I didn't know there was this other option, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know you could just be who you are. I thought you had to be in in a certain box. Right. So the box at the time was the bi box. Right, right. And so I thought, well, claiming that I'm bi is better than trying to pretend that I'm straight still. Mm. Um, no, actually, I came out as... I, I, either way, whatever. I don't know if I came out as a lesbian or bi at the time, and then it, so it switched later, but... You told um, me bi 
and then lesbian leaning. Yes, there we go. Yes. The whole idea was uh, it, it lies on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. That's how you kind of explained it to me. Yeah. That's when I was first learning about sexual orientation was, mm-hmm. was a spectrum of things. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then you came over to visit when I was house-sitting at the haunted house. <laughs> and yeah. then a house and dog sitting, excuse me. And uh, I came out to you. And I thoroughly enjoyed that because you always have like a million and one questions. <laughs> and it really, <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing because it caused me to actually think about certain things mm-hmm. and how I truly felt about is is the is who i'm attracted to a choice or not a choice mm-hmm. is it, you know this that or the other mm-hmm. um but yeah and then from there it just it just became a thing of like trying to figure out for myself who i am and accepting and loving myself and <clears throat> i hadn't done that ever it didn't i didn't know that it was okay to love me i didn't know that it was okay to spend time with just me which i was forced to anyways cuz when i lost Austin, I lost everything and everybody because all of our mutual friends all were his friends now and didn't want anything to do with me. Right. So then I was left with nothing and no one. Right. And that was when I thought, well, now's the goodest time as any to try and spend time with you and not want to kill yourself, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. I mean, I mean, it didn't happen the best it could have because eventually... Right. I had plans to take my life. Right. And a little bit after that is when I had said my goodbyes actually one night to my other family, which is his family. Mm-hmm. And um, no one knew I was saying goodbye, but I went to go spend time and mm-hmm. say my I love yous and my thank yous and be on with it. And I was giving him a piece of furniture that his parents had given me a little cabinet thing. And I just thought I'm going to be done with this. And that was the night that I had actually decided to end my life. I was, I was just done because there was, it was hopeless. Everything was hopeless. And, um, he came over and to get the, um, cabinet thing and handed me an early Christmas gift Austin did. Yeah, Austin did. And it was, I think, December 18th of that year of Mm. 18 or 19. I don't remember now, man. It's been a while. It it would have been 18 because I I moved in 19. Right, right, 18. Um, And anyways, uh, he gave me, he gifted me Harry Potter books, Mm -hmm. which I say that to say that instead of taking my life, I wanted, I had so badly wanted to read those books. Right. And so I started reading them. And of course I'm like, my next goal is just to stay alive long enough to read the books. Right. (laughs) (laughs) For which I read in two months because I gobbled them up. Like I had never had any book in front of me in my life. And, um, and then our second, my second invite from him to kind of see where we are at was, um, he wanted to get coffee. Austin wanted to get coffee. Mm-hmm. So we met up at Starbucks and got drinks. And at that time, the only thing I had to look forward to that kept me alive was the books I was reading, the Harry Potter series and um, the podcasts that Austin and Anthony and whoever else were doing. And mm-hmm. um, that those were released every Friday so I could make it 
if I can make it to Friday and listen to a podcast, then I can wait for the next one. And like, I was literally living like day by day and week by week, like from one small thing to the next, which wasn't really small to me, but. And, and what about that? I'd like to kind of break this down a little bit. What about Harry Potter kept you alive as well as the podcast? What about it kept you alive? I think there were a lot of things. It was like the hope of, of, or I guess just seeing like a friendship between the three main characters and knowing that I had had that in the past and like Mm -hmm. wondering to myself, like, how did I lose that? Mm -hmm. How did I lose like Austin and Alex and Anna in my life, which I didn't, not completely, but in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, it's just the whole story of like who Harry Potter is and who each of the characters are. It just, I just resonated with bits of each of them. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't really, I really couldn't put it to words how it brought me life, but it did. Like it was just, I guess it just, part of it was because it was something again that I had wanted to read for so long, but I couldn't read that because that was evil to read Harry Potter. And I was raised in a Christian home. Right. So um, I had actually borrowed a friend's book and my mom burned it in a fire and it wasn't even my book. So um, I wasn't allowed to have it. So when it was gifted to me, I'm like gobbling it up and it saved my life like down to the last, the last book. I just watching, there was so many different love stories and so many different angles of love and kinds of love, friendship, love, romantic love. There was, the teacher oh. who, yeah, always loved the the one love he had all of his life. And out of that love for her, he sacrificed so many things in his life. And he even turned his back on who his true master was to do what he needed to do because of his love for her. Like all of, there was so much love in that. Mm. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that kind of love growing up in my family. Mm. I knew it in ways when I met Austin, or not met them, but when we were hanging out for a while, Austin, right. Anna, and Alex, and which is him and his two younger siblings. So, um, but I don't know. I guess there were many things about Harry Potter that saved me, and just the story. I guess of I, I don't know. I like stories, so. Interesting. Well, it's it's interesting how it comes back to love because Austin mentioned the unconditional love he felt from Jesus, mm-hmm. and now we're kind of swinging back to love again and in, mm. in the story of Harry Potter mm. it was it this love that you were hoping to get and that hope is what kept you alive or were you feeling love maybe from the gesture that Austin gave you these books definitely both, both? and okay. yeah um him giving me the books was kind of a note that possibly things could be okay mm-hmm. you know one day and um and then there was the hope that or there was the love in the stories and the hope that I could have that but also I sincerely felt all of that love from the story and the books and yeah I'll, I'll always be grateful for J.K. Rowling writing these stories because I I wouldn't be here and the podcasts it was 
a way, I guess part of it was a way to connect with people who I had had connection with before, mm-hmm. but lost against my own will. And also what they did was they talked about story, which was important to me. Yes. And in story, there's always love. You can find it, even if it's not obvious, like it can always be found. Mm-hmm. And hope. I mean, I wasn't team hope for a long time because I Mm -hmm. didn't want to be alive. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it felt like to be alive for most of my life. I didn't know what it felt like to be alive. No. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So it comes back to love and friendship again. Yeah. Which if I, I'll just go back to real quick when he invited Austin invited me out for, um, coffee, we went to Starbucks and that again was the other time that we wanted to, he, I know he, that was the reason for his invite. And I wanted to see too, like where we were at, could we be in the same vehicle on a road trip to California for a few hours? Could we, you know, him and I and our other friend, stay in an Airbnb together and be at the park all day. Like <laughs> could Austin and I actually survive being around each other, mm-hmm. you know, for a few days. Cause we were in out in California for a few days and um, I wasn't even sure if I could be around humans. Cause I had just spent so much time with myself and right. learning to love me at least little by little. And being around people was, exhausting right and still is by the way mm-hmm. you guys need to leave soon <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding all right get the um, fuck out of my apartment get the, get the hell out enough for this podcast shit. yeah no I'm, I'm totally teasing but um kind of but uh when he invited me out i was like okay you know what i at least like i at least want to thank him for contributing to like i'm alive because of austin and Harry Potter, but I'm alive because of Harry Potter because of Austin. <laughs> like right, I didn't have right. access to these books. Like I could have bought them, but where, why was I going to do that? Cause right. that would have just prolonged me being alive right. and I didn't want that. So, um, anyway, so we went out and then I just told him, I said, Hey, I just want you to know that you had no idea what you were doing, but you saved my life because it was literally that night I was taking my life. Right. And you handed me the books, and then now I was, I was happy and I was very just pissed because that meant that I couldn't go through with my plan. Right. Because now I had to read the books <laughs> that right. I had yeah, always wanted yeah. to read, you know. So, um, excuse Denver. Damn. Um, but. Yeah, I shared with him how he'd saved my life with the books and the gift and also how like having the podcast to look forward to every week was something that was also saving my life. And um, even after that conversation, I I wasn't sure and I don't know how he felt, but I wasn't sure how it was going to go being around him all the time. I mean, I at that point, I didn't hate him anymore. Mm -hmm. But I certainly wasn't, like, trying to figure it out 
too quickly. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, so I, my two biggest, and, and to this day, it's still true. I, I mean, I'll always be grateful to Austin for saving my life because I wouldn't be here. What a tremendous story. Yeah. I don't like you guys very much right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know I'm a crybaby bitch. (laughs) This is the Taboo Podcast. Talk about things that aren't supposed to be talked about. Well, I got one final question. Hot date? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Oh, I need my phone, actually. I, I was listening to you. I was just taking notes on some of the common themes you've been running into. But before I get into that, I want to just say, obviously, things are way better now than it was. Yeah. Like when you were reading the Harry Potter books, so that was three years ago. Austin was still in Farmington, so that would have been four years. Yeah, yeah, four. So obviously, you've you moved away from that culture, and then you've told me in the past that, that saved your life. Yeah. Moving away from Farmington. That's another thing that saved your life. Yes, another. Yeah. So, obviously, things are so good. What happened? They're not, I, I wouldn't say, the best and ideal, and, you know, we still got our shit to go through, but obviously, mm-hmm. things are much better than it was. Right. What happened? Um, it was, I'll put the word simple in quotes, but it was as simple as making a geographical change. I needed to get away from where I was living because the memories and the everything from where I was living in New Mexico was all centered around Christianity and what could I do to fix everyone else and help Mm -hmm. everyone else and Mm -hmm. make sure that everyone else was okay and then just forget myself because it was very much a shame culture, a don't take care of yourself and wear yourself out right. before like nearly kill yourself to make sure other people are okay. Mm-hmm. And with me being an Enneagram two, I'm mm-hmm. a natural helper. So right. of course I ran myself into the fucking dirt trying to make sure everyone else was okay and slowly killing myself. Right. So it was like, I had to get out of there once I was staying alive because of Austin and the books. Um, I thought I got a taste of what it meant to be, to live while being alive or to be alive while Mm -hmm. living, you know, however you want to say it. Like, Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, well, this is amazing. I came to Denver for, I think, spring break in, in, uh, 2020. And, um, I came for my birthday in 19, August of 19. Austin had just been here like three weeks. He had just moved here. I came up for my birthday for like a little over a week with to spend time with him and Morgan and mm-hmm. they showed me around Denver and I was like, wow, I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so then my point to coming in March was not only to visit Austin and Morgan and friends, it was to look for an apartment because I already knew and I vowed and promised to myself that if I didn't, uh, move quickly if I didn't get out of New Mexico and find literally anywhere else to be that I was going to again take my life Mm -hmm. because 
it now now that I got a taste of what hope might actually be or love is right outside of the Christian world I was raised in. Mm-hmm. I wanted more of that. It was addicting in a way, a good addicting, but it was addicting. I'm like, who, who knew that life could be good or at least better? I didn't know that. So it was like, Mm. I had to move, I had to move out. So I did. I looked at places in March and then that May I rented out my house, thankfully, and packed all my shit and gave some away, sold some and, Mm -hmm got taken in by one of the most amazing humans on this earth, Carol, and <laughs> Carol's cool. got to live with her and and Morgan and um, her brother for a bit. And just it went from there. And, and now I'm, I mean, like you said, nothing's perfect, mm-hmm. but I'm, I can say that I'm actually happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I have far, far, far fewer moments of wishing that I was unalive. Mm. they still come Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know and i think that's just a human thing and but it's it's vastly different and for the reason that austin expressed like i have wow i really don't like you guys (laughs) i have um (laughs) i have people like you ian and and austin over here in my life and you know my i call my family my misfit family it's my chosen family Mm -hmm people that I chose and people that chose me and it feels good to be chosen. It feels good to be wanted to be seen and loved. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't a ever a theme in my life in my family or in church leaders or Mm. I was, I was good and acceptable if I met the criteria and the criteria was that I helped. I did everything for everyone else. And then I was um, able to be loved. And then I was valuable, mm. but my misfits show me that I'm valuable and that I am deserving of love just because I exist. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Unconditional love. Yeah. But the best love, honestly, if I can say that I've found is my, my love for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I always looked for, I was talking to a friend the other night and um, she was expressing that she wanted to learn what it meant to really feel loved. And I mean, that wasn't her words, but I just, I, I just looked at her and I said, I know that my love isn't perfect, but I know that my love is big. Mm-hmm. And I know that I know how to love people really well. Mm-hmm. And so naturally I'm looking to be loved as well as I show people love mm-hmm. and I've never found that there's been people in my life that have come close. My grandpa, mm-hmm. my brother, Jimmy, mm-hmm. Austin, Alex, Anna, you know, you guys like y'all come close, but no one has ever been able to love me the way that I love others. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that my love is better than the way that anyone else <laughs> right, shows love, right. just the way that I love. And when I discovered well, if I can love other people the way that I love other people, why can't I love me the way that I love other people? Mm-hmm. And when I discovered that and I truly began to love myself that way, it's the most beautiful, truest, and deepest love that I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And I've told Austin and Primo and other people, like, 
I love me and that's literally the love that I need. Mm -hmm. I don't need love from anyone else. I want and accept and enjoy love from other people, but that's all bonus love. Mm -hmm. The way that you guys reach out to me and love me and, and stuff is amazing and it's, but it's bonus. It's not anything that sustains me or gives me life because my love for myself does that. Mm -hmm. So the way that I feel like each one of us can truly find the best love and get the kind of love that we give out is to give that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's anyway. So yes, I, that's what I found is mostly. And most importantly is I found me, but along Mm -hmm. the way I've been gifted with other beautiful humans. Wow. Wow. Self-love. Absolutely. Also self-love, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. It's Thursday night, bitches. (laughs) Talking about suicide and gayness and love and friendship is tremendous. So some of the common themes just hearing from both of y'all stories tremendous stories by the way both of you guys and i'm very happy you guys are in my life you're welcome yes thank you (laughs) thank you i feel the same way (laughs) yes what he said (laughs) i think hugs are in order in a little bit just don't caress my arm again that was weird somebody's fucking letter that they wrote me (laughs) jesus christ so (laughs) (laughs) So I found some common themes between you. <laughs> Sorry, so I gotta pet my arm. What the fuck? <laughs> Just because it's creeping you out and it's enjoyable. <laughs> no, no, don't touch me there. It's my no, no square. <laughs> oh God. It's interesting how sexual orientation. Maybe because I'm I'm straight. Right. I'm pretty sure the audience knows that, but they don't. I'm straight. Are you? Yes, I am. I'm just kidding. Yes, you are. <laughs> I think maybe I, I don't understand the... I haven't had experiences of myself of sexual orientation and, and how it relates to so many different aspects of life. So it's really interesting to just listen to you both of y'all's stories again and just see how it relates to so many parts of your life, from faith and religion to um, suicide to perspectives in life, to friendship and to love and how it seems like what you were searching for this whole time was just friendship and love throughout this whole process. Mm -hmm. Being truly seen and being truly seen and self love. There's so many things. It's, it's like your sexual orientation seems like just tied up with so many different aspects of life and there's so many different things that can influence it. It's just amazing to see that throughout this discussion that we've had. Um, can I say something please, to that? Please, please do. Because this has been part of my discovery. Um, again, I'm still figuring some things out, mm-hmm. but I want to say from my experience of trying to finally come to acceptance of being gay and knowing, okay, I'm attracted to the same sex. That's okay. Like, it's not evil. Mm -hmm. And accepting myself as I am. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, realizing that that need for love that I have, which Bex 
touched on this. It's not going to be fulfilled in just finding a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. Like my need for love and acceptance and validation within myself and feeling that wholeness, I'm actually not going to find it in a boyfriend. I'm not going to find it in a husband. That's not everything. That's important, mm-hmm. and it's okay to want those things, but that's not a everything. That's the thing I've come to realize, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially being in a relationship right now. I'm realizing the thing I'm most worried about right now is losing my autonomy, is yes. losing time with myself. Right. Because I've realized at the same time, having romantic love, that it's fulfilling and it fulfills me in some ways. But like I spoke about earlier, those friendships I have, my friendship with you, my friendship with Bex, that's incredibly fulfilling. I feel loved. Mm -hmm. I feel love from you. I feel validation. And so, and then also, I don't want to be remiss about this, self-love. There are so many times where I start to beat myself up because, you know, that's a a wonderful habit I've picked up, apparently, you know. (laughs) When I catch myself falling into that habit of beating myself up, I stop myself and I start to name the things I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. And I speak to myself and I say, I am so proud of you for this. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of how far you've come. Oh, you're not as far as you want to be? Look where you are. Look what you came from. And it's amazing doing that kind of stuff, that self-talk, being vulnerable with friends Mm -hmm. and having romantic love. It's all that stuff together that I'm finding fulfillment. It's not just in, oh, I'm gay and I've been suppressed and now that I'm I'm free to be in a gay relationship, now I'm happy. It's not that. Right. Because if I still hate myself, no one else's love is going to fix my Mm self-hatred. So it's a, 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 a composition of all those things together. Mm. I, I, I welcome others' love, but also it's my job to love myself. It's mm-hmm. my job to not beat myself up and hate myself. So it's, it's all that together. That sounds a lot like cognitive behavioral therapy, too, where you have these negative self thoughts of hatred and you stop yourself and you say, wait, 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 here's the things that I'm proud of. You're disputing that negative thought. And that, that's CBT 101. Um, it's cognitive behavioral therapy 101 right there is that you dispute these negative thoughts to stop them and, and to realize, Oh, you know what? I am, I, I do love myself. I am pretty amazing. Because those negative self thoughts, the idea is they're not—they're not good. They're negative, right? They're—they're they're not a good thing to have. And disputing them is the key to getting rid of them. So that's—I'm really glad you said that. Anything you wanted to add? Oh. Or if not, you, you don't—you don't have to say anything. I decline at this moment. Okay. Well, that was a great discussion, guys. Any uh, last-minute advice you'd like to give to any audience members, kids, adults, anything that they could take away from this in y'all's journeys? 
I decline. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever you are um, gifted with an encounter with another person, try to remember that you're not the ultimate in the way that you're better than somebody and just be kind. Like kindness is the most attractive thing. Kindness is healing. Kindness is, it's everything. When I look at, when I look at people, I don't first see eye candy. I see it, but it's not the most important thing to me. The most important thing to me is peering into a person's soul. And I do that first and foremost, because I'm can and I'm an empath and I feel everything so extremely but on a just connection level of like I guess looking is the eyes I don't look at a person and think oh they're hot maybe I should love them or maybe they're amazing I look at a person and I see I look at their eyes and I find who they are and I feel out energetically who they are and I don't always like what I feel <laughs> Mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. not everyone's amazing but when I find kind people those are the people that I am attracted to just on a an emotional level just on a human level because again I don't I don't have sexual attraction right um but when I've felt the most loved is when people just see me exactly where I'm at and who I am so I guess the advice is when you come into contact with someone or you have some kind of interaction with a person, try to see who they are Mm -hmm. and love them where they're at and love who they are. And we're not always right about things that we feel or think or see, but to be validated in what those things are in the moment is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong in thinking that I'm ace. That might not be true because it could be due to trauma. But the Mm -hmm. fact that I'm supported by my friends Mm -hmm. when I say that I don't have sexual attraction, because while I don't, Mm -hmm. they choose to believe me because they see me as a whole person. They don't say, oh, that's Bex and she is only these three things to me. They take into consideration my entire person Mm -hmm. and they love me where I'm at and for who I am in that moment and actually, Mm -hmm. like fully. Mm -hmm. So I think the best advice would be just be kind sincerely and love someone for who they tell you who they're telling you that they are because it's not our job to tell someone who they are mm-hmm. it's our job to love people right where they're at which is something that you're supposed to know in the christian world but that doesn't actually mm-hmm. work out that way but yeah um yeah i guess just Love people where they're at and give people the benefit of the doubt. And it's a little more difficult on my end because I, I can, I'm, when I talk to somebody, I'm going to believe first and foremost what I feel their energy saying to me and not so much the words coming out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear them and I want to respect what they're saying, but if someone is actually not a great person, and they're trying to come off as a great person through their words, but it's an unsafe situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to believe what I feel, right. but I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm still going to treat them like a human and probably my heart will go out to them. And even if they're unkind to me, I'm still going to 
hopefully give them the benefit of the doubt and be right. kind and because that's what heals and shows love is just just be fucking kind that's all you have to do mm-hmm. our our one job in this life is to be kind and being kind doesn't mean that you have to be friends with that person being kind doesn't mean that their world or your world revolve around each other being kind is be kind smile at someone and move on and so anyway it's all about my that's all i have very well said it's so hot in here if you don't have anything you don't have to say i i I do (laughs) um okay is it okay to be like uh to speak to your listeners because oh yeah yeah absolutely i just all the time what i'm feeling is i just call them bitches a lot (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna say that i don't feel comfortable saying that um (laughs) i don't mean it y'all i don't mean it when i say that (laughs) i just i just want to i just want to put this out there because because it's true if anything we've said um if it resonates with you if if we're speaking your story or at least the first half of your story, um, I just want to encourage you that you don't know what the next few years have in store. Mm -hmm. When I was at my lowest, I didn't know that a year later I was going to move away. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. It wasn't even a thought. And moving here was one of the best decisions I ever made. And little did I know, again, when I was at my lowest, when I thought my life was over, I had no idea that in just a few years, I was going to meet some of the most amazing people ever. Mm. I didn't know I was going to have these deep connections unlike any kind of connections I've ever had before. I didn't know that I was going to love myself like Mm. I do now. I didn't know that all this stuff was just a few years away. Imagine, like I think back at myself, imagine giving up just before all this stuff happened. Like you have no idea what's just a few years away. Mm. You have no idea what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to encourage you, if if you feel like you're trapped, well, I did too. I felt completely stuck. But I made it through and I'm so glad I did. And I made that vow that if I'm going to stick around, I'm going to start living in a way that I'm proud of myself for sticking around, that I'm happy, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Because the thought in my mind was, 10 years from now, I want to look back and think, wow, if I wasn't here, I would have missed out on all this. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you were there. <laughs> I had a moment. It was like six months ago. You were here. It was when you were visiting Denver, mm-hmm. and I broke down and lost it. We were in a parking garage, and I'm just like weeping because I realized I had already made it. Yeah. In just a couple years, I had already lived enough life. I'd already experienced so much that I was already grateful I was here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was thinking like 10 years from now. I wasn't thinking like two <laughs> years later. I'd be like, holy shit, I can't believe all this already happened. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm like, so the rest is just a bonus. (laughs) I love it. Again, my life is not perfect. It's not super easy. There are some things I'm stressed out about right now. Mm -hmm. 
But the difference between now versus before is I don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not around people who make me feel alone. Mm-hmm. I love myself and I have people who are willing to support me through anything. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. I can make it through shit because I'm not alone. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> Damn. You're speaking to me now. God damn. Oh. Well, folks. <laughs> um, oh, huggy hugs. <laughs> That's the podcast for today. I want to thank you all for listening so much. I, I really appreciate all. Um, all the feedback that Hiram and I have received in the past couple weeks. And um, thank you so much for listening. And we really hope this these stories resonate with you. So with that said, y'all have a good night. We'll catch... I always fuck up this last (laughs) time. It's okay. We'll catch you next time. All (laughs) right.